You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Open your Bibles to Psalm 127. Today we're launching a brand new four-week sermon series. Can you handle four weeks? It's called Shooting Straight About Parenting. Would you allow me to shoot straight with you? Can I do some straight shooting with you? Um, You say, I've been coming. You're going to do that anyway. You're going to need my permission. Yeah, right. But if you will allow me to shoot straight with you about parenting, I believe I can help you shoot straight as a parent. And we're going to find out from Psalm 127 that shooting straight is actually the job description of a parent. So we're going to be shooting straight about parenting. You may wonder, like, well, I don't know if this really applies to me. Some of you are already finding a reason not to go to church in the next four weeks, and I'm about to strip away your excuse. You're saying, I'm not a parent. This doesn't apply to me. Hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me me just show you why we're doing this series, okay? If you have at least one parent, raise your hand. Okay, so you're all products of parenting, right? How many of you wish your parents could have gotten a little training and help on parenting when you were about five or 13? How many of you made their lives miserable when you were 13? If you ever were 13, just go ahead and raise your hand. You were miserable. And so and there were two. So we're going to learn about how as a body to do some parenting. Now, let me show you another reason we're doing this. Um, if you are a parent and you have children between the ages of zero and five, I would like for you to now stand. Children between the ages of zero and five, you got them? Stand up if you are able Okay, um, good. All right, we just take, take a look at you here. And uh, look at the dark circles under the eyes of this group of collected people here. Is there anybody that, uh, see that section back there in the back, everybody turn around? That is the designated um, disruptive parenting section back there. There's usually babies and things like that back there. Thank you so much. Okay, now listen, remain standing or now stand if you have children between the ages of six and 10. You have children between the ages of six and 10. Okay, there's another group of people. Good, a couple of you sat down. And then if uh, remain standing um, and stand if you have children between the ages of 11 and 15. Okay. All right, let's all enter into special prayer for this group right now. Um, all right, good. How about between the ages of 16 to 20? Stand if you have children between the ages. Some of you just keep standing. Do you not understand? <laughs> Oh, you've got a lot of children. Okay, yes, we see you. All right, good. And how many of you stand, remain standing if you have children between the ages of 21 and up? All right, where's that group? Good. Stand if you're a grandparent. Stand if you're a great-grandparent. I realize some of you think, okay, I'm, I am a great-grandparent. Um, that's good. We think, okay, you guys can have a seat. All right, do you see now why we needed to spend a little time on parenting? Now listen, we are Harvest Bible Chapel. We teach the Bible around here. And so do you know it's almost impossible to open a page of your Bible and not find something about a father-son relationship? God is a father and, and all the dysfunction of the family and parents in the Old Testament. It's like it's just it's a train wreck in a lot of places. And yet there's a lot of things that we can glean because we teach the Bible around here. That's why we do this. Um, and let me say this. I know that there's a group of people here too, that you're already kind of feeling a struggle right now because you want to have children, but for whatever reason, biologically, God has not made that possible. And I just want you to know that as a church, our heart goes out to you. And I know that this may be difficult as you see all these babies around here and you may have questions about why isn't God giving me some of that? Listen, that's the reason we really want to surround you. We have a support group for couples that face infertility. It meets once a month. And if you like some information, they meet on a Monday night. Call the church office. We'd love to connect you with that group. And uh, we want you to feel supported as well. Um, Some of you that stood earlier, um, you have some prodigal children. And you don't even know where your children are. And 
yet you know that wherever they are, they're very far from God. And uh, we carry a heart for you too. Some of the most often repeated prayer requests that show up on the register every week are pray for my children, they're far from God. So um, maybe if you'd known then what you know now or what you're about to learn in this series, you would have done things differently. Listen, there is no shame. There's a lot of uh, cause for humility, but no shame for a gospel-centered people because we bring all of that hurt and all of that dysfunction and all that failure under the Lordship of Jesus Christ who redeems all of the brokenness that we bring to Him in our parenting. There are some, um, there are some kids of parents here. Um, there's, they're usually seated over here in this section here, and they, are in, they will be in 24-hour uh, prayer for the next four weeks for their parents to f- get fixed uh, because they, they would like for you to be a better parent, so that's why we do this as well. And so there are, uh, there's another group of people here And um, you are able to have children, but you won't. What's up with that? Because, I mean, you open the first page of your Bible and you're slapped in the face with this command by God. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and God said to them, this is not a suggestion, it's a command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Now, some of you are taking that really seriously. You're like, you thought that that was like just for your family, okay? So it's a collectively, you don't have to do that alone, all right? So um, that's okay, that's great. And listen, you don't get brownie points in heaven for having a lot of kids. Uh, Our goal is not to have a lot of kids and fill the earth. The goal is to fill the earth with the glory of God that radiates from godly kids. That's more the goal. Somebody shared this verse with me like long before I ever had kids, long before I was ever married. And they said, you see the word multiply there? If you remember back to your algebra class, um, you haven't multiplied until you've got four. The two of you make four. That's multiplication. It's like addition would be like three. You haven't even, you get to ground zero with two. Now, I'm not saying that. That's what the guy said to me. I have four biological children. And um, we added one just for fun on the end, you know? So anyway, no, I'm not telling you the, the right number of children. I'm just saying, hey, if you're able to have kids, you should have them. And if you are a Christian, you should have a heart for kids, whether you're able to or not, or whatever age you're at, or whether you're married. Jesus has a heart for kids. God is known as a father. And so we should embrace the heart of God for our children. Another reason we're doing this series is because we are a disciple-making church. Parents, please hear me. It is not the job of the church to make disciples of your children. It is the responsibility of the church to make disciples of you so that you as a disciple of Jesus can make disciples of your children. It's on you. And so we are making parents into disciples of Jesus over the next four weeks. There's another reason that we're doing this series and this is an often repeated conversation between Andrea and me, sometimes we just look at each other and we scrunch up our eyebrows and we look like, I wonder why the older generation is not investing more in the younger generations of parents. There are some of you that have so much to offer and you saw these couples and these families stand earlier. Did you see how desperate the look was in their eyes? They need help. And it's the responsibility of the older generation to teach the younger how to love and to train their children. And so you should be doing that as a disciple maker. That's what we do around here is the body of Christ. But there's even a a more curious question. Sometimes Andrea and I are really surprised at how little the younger generation of parents seeks the counsel and the advice of the older generation. It's the most awkward conversation for the older generation, I kind of now in that category a little bit, and you see some things that are going on with some parents that you're just like, oh, if they, if they would just, just, it wouldn't take much just to, you, you would be, you would get more, but it's so, you can't really go up and say, hey, could I give you a little parenting advice? 
Because what, what they hear is, you are a loser as a parent. So it's the most awkward conversation. So if you are of the younger generation, do what Andrea and I did after we had a couple of kids and realized how twisted they were. We knocked the door down of every person that we saw that had some children that were even moderately godly. We would say, how do you get one of those? What do you say? How do you train them? What do you do when you don't know what to do? I mean, we, I mean, we knocked the doors down of the St. Clairs and the Davises and the Kimmels. I remember one time, Andrea and I, we, we had this weird opportunity. We were, st- we were in Disneyland with Tim Kimmel, who is the author of a great set of parenting books called Grace-Based Parenting. And it was at the point where Brooke and Zach, 14 and 13 year olds, were losing their minds. And we're like, I'm losing my mind. And I'm either they're gonna end up in jail or we're gonna end up in jail because we murder them. I don't know, but something has to change. And we're just pouring our heart out, standing in line at Disneyland, just like, Tim, what do we do? And he just smiled. You know, he was, he'd made it through that season. It's gonna be okay. You're doing the right things. And sometimes you just need people to wrap their arms around you and say, it's gonna be okay. Sometimes Sometimes you need people to say, hey, you're not like that, like this. Oh, I didn't know that was possible. But you ask the younger generation of parents now, and they're like, no, we, we Googled it. <laughs> You've got a whole body of people that would love to pour into you if you would simply ask. I would suggest that. And listen, as we get into this series, let me say this. I, I know it's taking me a while to get to the scripture. I'm going to get there. You know I am. Um, um, I'm not a perfect parent. And my kids aren't perfect kids. All five of my kids are in church today and they've all been staring at me throughout the services. And so as I'm going through these principles on parenting, I know what they're gonna be sitting there doing. They're gonna be grading. Like, well, why didn't you do that? You know, why don't you start that? You know, it's like, so I'm feeling a little pressure. I have a little grace for pastor dad up here this morning. And hey, how about a little grace for pastor's kids because they're under the microscope and it's like, well, hey, are your kids doing this and all that? And listen, you understand the devil is not happy that I'm shooting straight about parenting. And he would love to take out one of my kids in the process to discredit what I'm telling you you ought to do as a parent. So would you pray for my family during this series? All right, um, would you pray for my family during the series? Oh, thank you, both of you. Um, so, I, and listen, I tell you, Adrian and I have, have we, we have not done everything right. I, I, you remember how I told you I used to travel from church to church to church, for 15 years we did that. So we raised our children on the road, on a church parking lot, living in an RV. That was, explains a lot about our family. but. When we would go to these churches, the churches were gracious and they would provide lunch and dinner for our family. Okay, so for 15 years, as my children are growing up, every lunch and dinner was on display in front of the church. Now, what if we had videotape of everything that happened at your lunch table and your dinner table as you were raising your children? Would you be ready to quit or just think I'll fast for a week. You know, it's like, I, that's, that's where some of the dysfunction is exposed right there. And I, when we traveled, I used to teach this six hour all day Saturday parenting series. So, you know, come and here's how to, you know, shape the heart of your kid. And here's how to produce a compliant, obedient, happy hearted child. And, and here's how to discipline and all these different things. And I remember I did that in one church at the end of six hours, I was exhausted, but I was feeling really great. I'd just invested in these parents and they'd received it and they'd been taking notes. I'm like, okay, that was a great investment. And I remember finally, at the end of the day, walking out of the church and the church we were in had a gravel parking lot, kind of like our parking lot over here, except it was fresh gravel and the aggregate that they used was like these big, white, chalky stones and it had just been freshly laid and so the chalk hasn't, all the dust hasn't all settled on that. So I walk out of the six hour parenting seminar. I look across the parking lot. Brooke, who is four, Zach, who is three, are picking up these boulders. They look like boulders in their four-year-old hands. And they are launching them across the parking lot. And they are landing on top of the pastor's blue Buick. (laughs) These stones just go 
the powder is, there's a, there's a cloud around the blue Buick because they're just, <laughs> and so all these parents, these hundred parents are walking out like, whose kids are those? Yeah, the guy that was just teaching you how to prevent that. So anyway, we, so we're all, we've all messed this up, okay? So I want you to know that this is a place of grace. And if I do my job right, you do your job right, you are going to hear the gospel. And our goal is to become gospel-centered parents. So what does that mean? Finally, we are into the scripture. Somebody should have already tackled me and pulled me off the stage because I haven't read the Bible yet. Now notice, when you read a psalm, you don't start with the one. You start with the title, that's inspired to, before the one, and this is what it says, a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who's, who fills his quiver with them. He will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. We're going to use those five verses over the next four weeks to let God speak to us about our parenting. First of all, notice that this is a song. These are song lyrics. Now, this was an actual song that was sung. We don't have the melody and we don't have the rhythm, but we do have the lyrics preserved for us, inspired by God to talk to us about our parenting. It's a song of a sense. What does that mean? Well, you understand that annually, families would take a journey to the place of worship in Jerusalem for a feast, a festival, the place of sacrifice, to offer offerings, to pay vows. And it was an annual journey. And so along the journey, it was a grueling journey. It's like through a desert, up a hill. It's a song of ascents. What made it easier to take the next step in the grueling heat, in the rocky terrain, all the way to Jerusalem is that they sang along the way to get to the place of worship. And one of the songs that they sang in the journey is what we have here in Psalm 127. And it was a way for a family to shape its identity. It was, a, it was a way for one generation to pass on gospel truth to the next generation. And so they would sing these songs together because it made it easier to take the next step. It was, it was a way of saying, this is our family identity. This is, these are our core values. These are our guiding principles. And this is what the Lord has called us to do. You know, it's the same way that you packed the minivan and came to church today. You, you all piled in the minivan and, and you all sang happily on your way to church or not, but it, it, that'd be a goal for next week. I mean, you just try that and it would help you get to the place of worship. And that's what was happening here. Now notice who it's written by. It's written by Solomon. Now we know a lot about Solomon. He was the son of David and he had two sons that split the kingdom, it didn't end well for him, but he had a lot to say about parenting. I believe Solomon learned most of what he knew about fathering and parenting from his father, David, who had a heart after God's own heart. Solomon wrote several books in the Bible, and one of them was the book of Proverbs. Not everything in Proverbs is Solomon, but uh, the, the majority of what we have about parenting in the Bible is preserved for us in the book of Proverbs, 31 chapters. It is a script for fathers to teach their children. The reason we know that is 23 different times Solomon used a two-word phrase in Proverbs, my son. He's communicating to his son. Here's the essential information that a son needs to know from his father. And so here's he, Solomon was a family man. He was, he was just concerned about parenting. He shot straight about parenting. And so this is what the song is about. Now, one of the things that's unique about this chapter is the number of metaphors and similes that are in it. Now, 
some of you just had a heart attack because you just remembered seventh grade English, right? So what's a metaphor? You remember how it takes a word and it, it's, it, it attaches meaning to that by saying this is like that. And if you actually use the word like or as, it becomes a simile. You, you remember this, you passed seventh grade English, that's good. So there's a simile in here, do you see it in verse four? Children are like arrows, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And so here, here's the, what we're gonna learn over the next four weeks. Children are like arrows in the hand of a what? So parents are like warriors. It mentions unless the Lord builds the house. Now he's not talking about brick and mortar. The house is like family, like a home, right? He mentions a city in here. It says unless the Lord watches over a city. So the Lord is like a builder. The Lord is like a watchman. And the city is like a church. A lot of different homes coming together in the same place, operating kind of together in community. And so there's a lot of metaphors and similes. We're gonna play that out over the next four weeks here. But I want you to notice, first of all, the first thing we learned from this is gospel-centered parents recognize that children are a blessing from the Lord. Do you see down, down there in uh, verse five, the word is actually used, blessed. It means favored. It means you, you receive grace that is given even though you don't deserve any of it. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Anybody here not wanna be blessed by God? I mean, like if I told you after the service today that we have a special little giveaway down in the hallway here, if you'll just stop by there, we have a special blessing from the Lord that you can receive. Anybody race out of here to five guys before stopping off and getting the blessing from God? No, you, you were like, no, I, I want a blessing. I need every blessing I can get, right? Well, here's the deal. God says, children are a blessing. That's another way to tell you, don't forget to pick up your children at the end of the service, but we receive what God graciously gives to us as a blessing. Our culture does not treat children as if they are a blessing. Our culture treats children as if they are a bother. That's why abortion is legal. If your child is going to be a bother to you, then let's just make sure we eliminate him before he arrives. And that's one of the reasons that we don't do a good job parenting is because we don't really understand what God is doing in giving us this blessing in our children. Why are children a blessing? First of all, because children teach us how to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. One day, Jesus was uh, traveling through town and there was a group of parents that brought their children to Jesus. And the disciples stepped in between and said, oh, Jesus wouldn't want to be bothered by a bunch of dirty, stinky, smelly, rotten kids because Jesus, he spends time with the more important people. And Jesus knocked those knuckleheads out of the way and said, let the little children come to me because God has a heart for children. Jesus had a heart for children. And then he went on to explain why he wanted those little children to come to him. He says this in Mark 10, verse 15. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Children are a blessing because they teach you how to receive the kingdom of God. There are things about God and God's kingdom that you will never even comprehend until or unless you are a parent, until you welcome children, until you spend time with children, until you understand the helplessness of children. That's the helplessness with which we come into the kingdom. You don't get in the kingdom as long as you think you are sufficient and can help yourself. You have to come like a child. See, there's another simile there. You must be like a child. And that's why children are blessings. They show us how to respond to the gospel. Notice what Jesus did next. He took them, he embraced them, he brought them closer to him. Rather than creating distance from them, he drew them closer 
in his arms and he blessed them. He communicated value to them. He communicated a vision to them for godliness and he laid his hands on them. How often do you do that as a parent? So all my two kids are grown now. Yeah, you gotta chase them down and tackle them to do this now. They used to do it when they were little, now you gotta go and initiate it yourself. And so to take them in your arms communicates you are not a bother to me. If I were to interview your children and say, be honest, do your parents think you're a bother or a blessing? What would they say? And what tangible evidence would they give? Would it look like this story of Jesus drawing them to him? Or would it look like the disciples trying to keep their distance from the children? And so we need to receive our children as a blessing. That's the reason that God gives them to us. Number two, children are a blessing because children are God's plan to ensure the gospel outlives the parents. You understand that unless we pass the baton of the gospel to our children, there's no hope for the next generation. The only reason that we're 2,000 years into the story of the New Testament church is because somebody in the last generation passed the gospel on to us. We're just one generation of parents failing in their responsibility to disciple their children. And children are a blessing because they're gonna be the ones to fulfill the great commission to the next generation. And thirdly, children are a blessing because, God, uh, because children are God's tool to build parents. Some of you are like, oh, I'm so glad we're getting this series. I really wanna learn how to fix my kids. I wanna learn how to build my kids. Go, I'm, I'm ready to take notes. Wait, 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 wait. Before we talk about how God uses parents to build children, we need to learn how God uses children to build parents. Do you know that God gives you these little critters in your home as mirrors? And the more of them you have, the more mirrors you have, the more opportunity you have to see your own selfishness, your own irresponsibility, your own defiance, and your, your own sovereignty. Every time they disobey, you're like, I can't believe they're acting like this. Guess where they got that? They inherited that from you. Your sinful DNA was passed down to them. That's the way it works. It's called imputed sin, right? So all of this starts showing up in them. You keep it really hided. But when you got mirrors all around, you can't avoid seeing yourself in your children. And so God gives these little things to you to help you see the unfinished business in your own life. And so children are blessings for, for God to show you how much you need him. There's people in our church all the time. I hear this story all the time. They're, people grew up in church, kind of marginally involved. Their family were marginal Christians. But then they got to college and they got busy and they, they kind of wandered from God, wandered from church. But then somewhere around 30, 35, they settled down, start having a couple of kids. And after a couple of years, they're like, I have no idea what to do with these people. I don't know how to fix them. I don't know how to change them. Uh, well, let's go to church. And so you, you're like, we gotta get these kids in church. We, we gotta get some people around us to help us. And you know what God does? God uses your own desperation in trying to parent your kids to show you how much you need him. Aren't kids a blessing to show you how awful of a parent you are. That's a blessing. And God brings you back to his heart in desperation. That's why children are a blessing. He wants to use them to build you. So here's the second thing. Gospel-driven parents recognize that children are built by the Lord. Go back up here to verse one. Unless the Lord. Do you see that three-word phrase? Just circle those three words. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So the Lord is building something and he gives us these children, but they come with the label, some assembly required, right? They come and they're not right. They have to be built, they have to be put together. 
There's certain vacuums in their heart that you have to fill. We're going to talk about how to do this over the next few weeks. And the mistake we make as parents is to try to build them instead of understanding it's the Lord alone who can build them. I'm not the home builder. I am the tool in the hand of the home builder. And this home builder has a design. He has blueprints for the home. First page of the blueprints, biological mom marries biological dad and biological mom and dad raise the bio children in a, in a family that stays together. And then you launch, that's the, the, that's the foundation level of the, the blueprint. Now, some of you didn't even get that right. That's okay. There's redemption. There's second chances now that you're hearing this. We, we, we put the story together with the blueprint that we have. So the Lord is the builder, the children are the raw materials, the parents are the tools. What's he building? He's building a heart for God in these children. And notice it's labor. Did you see that word labor? He uses the word toil. He talks about staying up late. He talks about rising early. And yet he uses this word anxious. And here's the lesson, unless the Lord builds the house. All of my parenting, labor and love is pointless. The best of my parenting cannot produce what has to be produced in this child unless the Lord does what I cannot do. That's the story here. All of your watching, all of your rising, all of your staying up late, all of your anxiety, all of your worry, all of it is in vain. It's empty. It's useless unless the Lord. Now that three word phrase, unless the Lord, that is gospel language. I don't even know if you can properly communicate the gospel without those three words. Unless the Lord saves me, I am lost forever. Unless the Lord shows grace and pardons my sin, I will never enter into the kingdom of God. Unless the Lord opens my blind eyes to the glorious truth that there is a savior named Jesus, I cannot be saved unless the Lord helps me to understand the seriousness of my sin by seeing his wrath poured out on Jesus on the cross as a substitute, then I will never repent of that serious sin. Do you see? It is all dependent upon the Lord. Whether you are a parent or a child, unless the Lord gives you a capacity to hear and love the truth of the gospel, everything you're gonna do in this lifetime will be in vain. Parents, unless parents recognize their powerlessness to change the heart of a child, your parenting is in vain. Unless parents build according to God's plan, your parenting is in vain. Unless you invite the Lord into your parenting, all of the best practices of your parenting will be in vain. Unless parents have surrendered their lives to the Lord, all of your parenting is in vain. Do you see the word Lord there? It's capitalized, all four letters of Lord are capitalized there. It's the proper name of God. And we know who that is. That's Jesus. Unless you surrender to Jesus as Lord, unless you put your parenting under the Lordship of Christ, all that you do will be in vain. Doesn't matter how many parenting magazines you read or Psychology Today classes, it's, unless the Lord builds the house. We're laboring in vain. You, know, you get it? The Lord is building me as a parent so that he can use me to build my children. Before I can expect my children to listen to me, I have to listen to the Lord. Before I can expect my children to trust me, I have to trust the Lord. Until I learn to obey the Lord, 
I can't expect my children to obey me. So my vertical relationship with God through Christ is essential to my job horizontally with parents. Now, how can you know whether or not you are trusting the Lord or you're just building it by yourself? The test is very simple and it's found right here. Notice the end of verse two. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Can I ask you as a parent, how well do you sleep? Now, now listen, those of you that have the children that are like obnoxiously waking up in the middle of the night, I, I get that. Listen, there is a lack of sleep because you are doing a good job in your parenting, but there is a lack of sleep because you are not trusting God to do his job in spite of your parenting. Because he gives his beloved sleep. Have you ever thought about the theology of sleep? I mean, think about this. God could have created us any way he wanted to with enduring energy, not to need sleep, but he purposely created us so that every 16 hours or so, he makes you go unconscious. Just to prove that when you wake up eight hours later, he didn't need you at all. I mean, look at that, it's crazy. I mean, the, the, the earth is still orbiting around the sun. The children are still alive. I mean, the cat's missing, but everything else is, <laughs> is doing fine. I mean, it's just like, yeah. You, you are non-essential to God, okay? And yet, God's plan is to use gospel-centered parents as tools to get his work done in building out our children. We love them. We labor for them. But at the end of the day, it's not enough unless the Lord builds the house. The best of our parenting is in vain. Here's the last thing. Gospel-centered parents recognize that children must be bent toward the Lord. Now, this simile here is so powerful. Do you see it there in verse four? Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. So the Lord is communicating to us a lot about children right there. Now, again, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a hunter or anything. Um, I, I have a friend who's a hunter and he let me borrow um, his, his bow and arrow set here. And I, I learned something. It, this is in a you know, little contraption here. Do you know what this is called? Paul, what's that called? It's called a quiver. I thought quiver was something that happened to your liver when you were in love, but that's not what it is. It holds arrows, okay? So your home is the quiver, your marriage is the quiver, and, and look here, we have four children. We've got Brooke, Zach, Allie, and Leah, and then we need room for Scott, but uh, we, we have this arrow set here, and so I pulled out an arrow this morning, and I, I, was, I was so impressed. I pulled this out, and it has this, um, what's that called? The arrowhead, yes, the arrowhead there, and it looks dangerous. I actually pulled out one of these and there was actually some residual meat on the end of one of them, so I didn't use that one. Um, so anyway, these things are meant to come out of the quiver. You, they're not meant to like be mounted on the wall so that you can show the grandparents. Come look at the beautiful arrows mounted on the wall. They're meant to actually fly. And if, an, if a warrior is doing a good job, he, he has a name. And he, but before he launches them, here, here's what we learn from the rest of scripture. And this is what we're gonna learn in the rest of the series. The arrows are bent. They don't fly straight. And so the job of a parent is to straighten the arrow, to straighten it, to sharpen it so that when it makes impact, it, causes damage for the Lord. <laughs> so to straighten it, to sharpen it, and then to shoot the arrow. So some of you are gonna misquote me. Do not tweet me and say, you're supposed to shoot your children. That's not what I'm saying. Some of you have thought that before. That's not gospel-centered parenting. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't shoot your children. Don't do that. But an arrow is meant to be shot. 
But if it's gonna, if it's gonna hit the aim, if it's gonna hit the target, it has to be straightened because children are bent away from the Lord, every one of them. So let's just do a little test here in conclusion, and let's just see if you are a gospel-centered parent versus a child-centered parent. Okay, can we do a little test? 10 questions, all right? It's not even really questions, just contrast. Find yourself on one side or the other. Here is a child-centered parent. A child-centered parent believes that children are basically good and need affirmation. And all of the gospel-centered parents are like, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Gospel-centered parents believe their children are basically foolish and need correction and a savior. So, if you think your darling little angel is just kind of neutral and is so innocent as she comes into the world, you need to be informed about what the gospel says about your little angel. She's not an angel. As a matter of fact, she's playing for the other team, okay? This is what the gospel informs us about these little children. It teaches us that children arrive into this world dirty, rotten, Sinners, you've heard this before, right? You're like, oh, but my little angel. You're like, yeah, demon would be a better word. Um, they're, they're, they're blind to what's going on in the heavenlies and they are subject to the prince and the power of the air. It's the other team that's, that's got their attention right now and it's our job to get them on the other team, all right? They, they arrive in the world as these little self-sovereigns. They think the universe revolves around them. They think you should revolve around them. They think you should wake up in the middle of the night and feed them. Now, you should feed them. Do not go out of here and say, Pastor says, don't, don't feed the children. I didn't say that, okay? But you have to, from the very early stages, get them off of their agenda and realize you are not the center of the universe. You're part of the universe. And the universe revolves around someone else. His name is Jesus. And you need to learn to revolve around him. That's the way that we have to parent our children. You have to introduce them to the concepts of the gospel. The first concept is that God is holy. God is a law giver. You are a law violator. God takes his law very seriously. Disobedi disobedience brings conflict into your life. But grace is available and repentance is required. Fellowship can be restored with mommy and daddy and with God if you will repent and believe and you have to reject your substitute saviors. Your mommy can't save you. Your church going can't save you. Running away to your neighbor's house can't save you only Jesus can save you because you are not good you're not special you're bad okay now listen you love them when you say that and you remember they got all of that from you and so you love them enough to tell them these things and understand that child-centered parents allow their children to believe they are sovereign. But gospel-centered parents train their children to yield control to God who alone is sovereign. If they don't get off their agenda of being sovereign, it's not gonna go well for them in eternity. You want them to learn this before they die because they're gonna find out afterward that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to Jesus who alone is sovereign. And if they don't find it out in this lifetime, it will be too late for them in the next. Child-centered parents make children objects of worship for parents. Gospel-centered parents make parenting an act of worship to God. You say, I don't worship my kid. Hope not. Do you know what an idol is? An idol is anything you think about more than God, act like is more important than God, anything that you substitute for God. If you look at your checkbook and your schedule and the soccer schedule and the school schedule and the band schedule and the cheerleading schedule and the volleyball schedule, is, is 
Who's being worshiped? Who's getting the best of your time, the best of your energy, the best of your emotion? Is it God? Or are you bowing down to a schedule of your children? Bedtimes, meal times. Are you doing what the child wants or are you teaching him you don't always get what you want? Child-centered parents love children too little or too much. You, you love them, you have affection for them, but you don't love them enough to confront them. You don't love them enough to say no because it's not good for you. It's self-destructive for you to have everything you want. And so you love them too little or you love them too much. Gospel-centered parents love children more than they love themselves, but they love their children less than they love God to prevent turning their children into an idol. Child-centered parents allow the demands of the children to dictate the family schedule. Gospel-centered parents train children to bend their schedules around the needs of others so that they understand, I put others first, I serve others. And in doing that, you become actually a leader and an influence, a gospel-centered leader. Child-centered parents fear what would happen to their children if they ever left their sight. Gospel-centered parents trust God is watching over their children when they can't. It's believing that the Lord watches over the city. And even if I'm watching them and not allowing them to step out, you're still not dealing with the matters of the heart. A child-centered parent allows children to view themselves as peers with adults and authorities. Speaking to adults as if they were peers and arguing with parents as if they had an equal vote. But gospel-centered parents train children to honor adults and submit to authorities because those authorities and those adults are simply representatives of the greatest authority, God himself. And if we can't learn to submit to human authority, we'll never submit to God's authority. And so we learn to speak with respect and we learn to submit to those that may have greater information because they've lived longer than us. Child-centered parents prioritize children over their marriage. And so you get this, husband-wife relationships are permanent relationships. Parent-child relationships are temporary relationships. These leave, these stay. And so if we don't protect the husband-wife relationship, then we are actually doing our children a disadvantage because we're removing the very thing they want most, which is a loving, secure, safe relationship. First of all, with mom and dad. Gospel-centered parents prioritize their marriage for the sake of their children. Hey, mom and dad are going to be alone for a few minutes so that we can talk to one another so that we don't scream at you, right? Get it? Hey, we're, we're gonna need a date over here so that we can talk without being disrupted by your needs so that when we come back, we can fully meet your needs together as partners. Child-centered parents define success by compliant, obedient children. All for compliant, obedient children. Yes, anybody use a little more of that? Yes, yes, we, we want that. However, it's not enough because if all you get is a compliant, obedient kid, you missed his heart and all you did was raise a little self-righteous Pharisee, a little legalist who's so proud of himself, he doesn't think he needs a savior. Gospel-centered parents define success by repentance and faith of children as they recognize their need for God. Job description of a parent is to help your children recognize he is actually incapable of completely obeying. So what happens when you disobey? Well, now I'm needy. I'm needy of God's grace. I'm needy of forgiveness. I'm needy of, of enabling grace to do things that I don't have the power to do in myself. That's a gospel-centered parent. Last one. Child-centered parents find their identity in the performance of their children, whether good or bad. 
oh, my kids are so out of control. I must be a loser. I'm a terrible person. Or I could have taught all of this material better than you could. I think I'm going to host a parenting small group in my home for all of the parents so that I can show them how, what to do so that they can get great kids like mine. And you find your identity in their good performance. Gospel-centered parents find their identity in the grace of Christ, in the performance of Christ, because we realize that no matter how good our parenting is, it's not good enough. Are you a gospel-centered parent or are you a child-centered parent? Now, listen, the good news of the gospel is no matter which side of the chart you're on, the gospel is all about fresh starts, new beginnings, forgiveness in Christ. You bring all of the, the failure to Christ for fresh grace every day. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that before we leave. Would you stand with me? Heads bowed, eyes closed. I know that you've probably thought of individual children you may have thought of some things that you would have done had you known then what you know now. Listen, bring all of that to Christ. We are needy people. And God is using our children to show us our need for Him. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. Unless God gives grace, and unless God opens blind eyes, and loss, unless God grants life to dead, cold hearts, the best of our parenting is in vain. Father, I pray that you would speak individually uh, throughout this week to each one of us, remind us by your spirit what we would do in the moment to live as gospel-centered parents. We thank you for grace that's available because of what you absorbed from your Father you were treated as if you were a dirty, rotten sinner so that we could be treated as sons of God. Thank you for the grace of the gospel. And I pray for any here today that just can't believe that they could get a fresh start, clean slate. God, would you draw them, and warm them, give them hope. Pray, God, that we would believe, we'd walk out of here believing your promises, trusting in your faithfulness to do what we as parents cannot do ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.